Hello, Liturgy Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. This week, we are talking about Odo Kazel, who played an integral role in the liturgical movement leading up to Vatican II. So some very interesting stuff there. I also want to remind you about our Young Adult Liturgy Conference happening in Chicago on April 22nd called Transfigured. Our normal price for this conference is $75, but we're running an early bird special right now until the end of March for $50. But wait... For all Liturgy Guy listeners, you can attend this conference and see Dennis and Chris live for $40 if you type in Liturgy Guys in the promo code when you check out and buy your ticket. You can do this at www.btransfigured.com, and this promotion will end on March 15th, so do this as soon as possible. So without further ado, episode 35 of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. All right. Uh, I'm not congested. I'm not saying this? Odo. <laughs> I'm saying Odo. 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 Odo without the fro. <laughs> Odo Kazu. I had a friend who said he, he hates the word Bob because the, the name Bob because it sounds like a kid with a cold trying to say mom. Bob. Bob. <laughs> could you bring me some chicken soup, Bob? Bob. Bob. That's could right. you give me some soup? I know. <laughs> Odo. Odo. Kazel. Although a lot of English speakers call him Kazel sometimes, I believe the proper pronunciation would be Kazel. This is one of the great liturgical movement worthies, Chris. Very great. Very great. Very worthy. Uh, First name Odo, last name Kazel. Kazel. Benedictine monk. So. Okay. From uh, 1886 to 1948. Probably. Wow. Why do you guys know all of these? We just, this, why uh, do you not know that? Yeah, well, that's the real question. I don't know the, the death year of a lot of people. Now, he joined this uh, Benedictine Abbey in Germany called Maria Locke. It's from Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Oh, my gosh. Can we do one freaking (laughs) podcast without talking about Downton Abbey? That's all I, I just want one. I want this is what I want. Who's I want, keeping it going now? I you want are one podcast without Downton Abbey and one podcast without Chris coughing. That's those are the two <laughs> things that I would love to have. I would just a free a podcast without those two things. When I point at you, cough for the just at the right time. All right, so whoa, whoa, whoa. He, en- he enters this abbey Don't turn your head. called Maria Locke, Lake Mary Abbey, just like our own St. Mary of the Lake mm-hmm. here, Mundelein. With his good friend, if you want another German name, Ildefons Herwegen, who later became another kind of <laughs> scholar. Blucher. And Herwegen started the Ecclesia Oran series, the first issue of which published, Jesse? In 1948. In 1918, 100 years ago next year, is a little book called... Oh. The Spirit of the Liturgy. Yeah. Right. Okay. So this abbey, you know, was was uh, suppressed, and then they refounded it in uh, 1892. And so they were just trying to get this stuff going again and restore monastic life. 
And um, it's probably fair to say Odo was a, a, a super achiever, an overachiever. Mm-hmm. He got a doctorate in sacred theology from San Anselmo in Rome, which is the pontifical academy. For I've him. been there. You have? Yeah, there's a, there's a door. There's two doors there, and there's like this keyhole. That you can look through. And you look through the keyhole, and there's like That's a San Anselmo? It's, it's yeah. right near it. It's, it's no, a perfect it's arch over the, the dome of St. Peter's. It yep. is like one of the most beautiful things you could see in Rome. So yeah, we got a doctorate yeah, there, the yeah. Pontifical School Yeah, you for and Kaza went there for different reasons. We, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then guess what? He got a PhD, too, in uh, classical antiquities and the mystery religions. Mm. So I guess in the ancient world, there were all these um, different versions of God worship, small g God worship, that involved mysterious notions of gods dying and rising again, and you would participate in their death and resurrection through these rites. And so he was very influenced by that, that Christianity had become this kind of polite little thing. You know, you wear your lace and say your prayers, and there was nothing, there's no awe to it anymore. It's just sort of like knowing what God was and doing this polite little stuff. But he's like, the mystery religions, they were talking about life and death and blood and entering into sacrifice and becoming transformed and presenting yourself as a sacrifice. And there was something kind of grand and tremendous awe-inspiring he, he, would, he would use the word dread from time to time that you would dread the fact that you would die and rise again but at the same time it was that dread that was compelling and attractive so like yeah. anybody who has a vocation to the priesthood they're afraid of it and they're called to it at the same time because of the magnificence of this call and that the liturgy had kind of been watered down to this safe polite little thing yeah, i even saw uh, sort of as an aside it was, i think it was a benedictine uh, um you know, blessing or be, you know becoming initiated into the order. What do they call that? Uh, uh, taking vows or something like that. And they place like a the funeral Paul Paul over, over uh, the person as yeah. he lies uh, on the floor. Profession. Right. Hmm. So you'd lay on the floor, and they'd put the same cloth that they put over the casket on top of you, and you'd be under this heavy black thing that can't see, wow, can't that's breathe. Dreary. Because you, no, it's not because you're dying to your old life and you're being born. I mean, again it's not the, dreary. <laughs> well, it is right. in a way. What, 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 I, is it dreary or is it not dreary? Well, For a little while. There's, a, there's has, some dread to yeah. it, but also this notion that, boy, this is worth doing. Like any kind of, here's a good German word, Bildungsroman. <laughs> That's a coming-of-age story in the German literature. Um, you have to dread the things you fear. Right? I'm a little boy. No, but they're challenging you to become a man. You have to get the maiden or go off, oh, jump off a cliff or jump into the lake that's 100 feet below you or whatever. It's scary and it's filled with dread, but there's something compelling. If I do this, something really good will happen to me. Yeah, some of these mystery rites, uh, I don't know if you've, I don't know what kind of education you had. I didn't hear about any of these. I, I actually I, am Benedictine <laughs> educated. So. Well, well, okay, then you could tell, tell us, us what about these, mystery rites. All right. Yeah, so that what he meant, what these mystery rites were, was, was somehow uh, participating in the death and resurrection of a god or a demigod or something like this by going through a ritual. Right? And so maybe the most famous of these mystery rites or myths was uh, the one in Eleusis or around uh, Athens. This is about the time or you know, in the centuries leading up to the coming of Christ. And there's, uh, you know, all of these have different versions on the same uh, theme. But in this one, there was, uh, there's Persephone and uh, her, no, let's see, Persephone is the daughter and her mother is Demeter. And Demeter is the, the goddess of rain and agriculture and life. And her daughter Persephone one day is out picking flowers and she gets kidnapped by uh, mean old Uncle Hades. Right, who takes her to the under? You've heard oh, this, right? yes, I've right. Actually, it's all coming I've, back to you. Well, I've seen the, the the statue, the rape of Persephone, 
in uh, uh, the in Rome. Man, this is all talking about the time. You're coming in handy today, yeah, Jesse. It's uh, the Villa Borghese, Borghese Museum mm, in Rome. Wow, it's very. Wow. It's done by. Uh, oh my gosh. Um, Who's the Bernini? Who's yeah, Bernini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Is, is it by Hades? It, well, yeah. Okay. So Hades takes Persephone to live with him in the underworld. Demeter is distraught. She looks around for her daughter, can't find him. By the time she finds out where she is, she says, all right, I'm drying up all the rain. So no rain will fall. No crops will grow. No sacrifices will be offered to the gods. So finally, Zeus intercedes and gets Hades to release Persephone back to her mother. All right. So this is Persephone coming back from the dead. And this uh, death and resurrection story uh, coincides with the springtime rains when uh, Persephone comes back from the dead. So this is the death and resurrection of this particular God. Now, this was then ritualized, and the mystery rite was then you're going through the ritual, and through this ritual, you, in a certain sense, uh, imitate uh, the death and resurrection of Persephone. I see where this is going. Right. Oh, and there's a whole handful of these. Uh, maybe uh, Isis and Osiris in Egypt is another one. You know, uh, Osiris. Uh, Isis is the name of the dog in Downton Abbey. Sorry, <laughs> Can we just have one, one episode without, without Downton Abbey? <laughs> right. So Osiris dies. His uh, uh, wife, uh, Isis, looks for him, uh, you know, brings him back to life with the help of the gods. And this coincides with uh, the flooding of the Nile River and the Nile Delta in the spring. And so the mystery rite was kind of. Uh, identifying yourself with Osiris, who was dead and has now come back to life. Great. Which sounds kind of polite, but we're talking about dread, awe, risk of life and limb, that there's something about this fascinating danger that draws you to it, but at the same time, uh, you kind of enter into something that makes uh, real. I had a definition of mystery, apparently, as Otto Kausel used it. His book was a German book, because I like to say things in German, was Das Christliche Kultmysterium, right? The, the Christian cult mystery. Now, that can wow, sound a little scary, right? Yeah, Christianity is just some weird cult, some weird, you know, pre-Christian, whatever. No, he's not saying that at all. He's just saying all these cult mysteries were ways we could come to recognize Christ and understand Christ's sacrifice and how we understand how we can enter into that. That had so, to seem pretty strange at the time. Yeah, he got some weird time. At his time, in Odo's time. Kind of sounds strange even in our time. Well, it does, yeah, because we don't like that, that mystery language. Well, we don't, what, what other people didn't like about this, too, is, is the conclusions that many tried to draw from this was that uh, oh, well, Christianity is just another one of these things where you've got this that's God was, who became man and he dies and he comes back from the grave. And now you uh, identify with him by going through these rituals. And so, see, really, Christianity was just another version of these mystery rites which were going on at the time. But right. what he's really trying to get at. So imagine. <laughs> and we don't believe that, by the way. Yeah, no, but it's 1890 and you've read all your Thomistic scholastic handbooks and the real presence is confected when the words of institution are made and you go up and receive your spiritual vitamin pill. When the priest is done, he's saying, "Uh, uh, uh." That, that's some of it. But what the real thing is, is Christ's ritual action entered into death and rose again, and all of that reality is being presented liturgically. And you have to enter into that too. Die yourself with Christ, and then rise again with Christ. So it's never separated from Christ. It's not reduced to some Dionysian, you know, Dionysius kind of thing. But he says the mystery is a sacred ritual action. That's the big thing. You need know, to hear active participation all the time. It's not just a kind thought, oh, yeah, if I think pious thoughts during Mass, then that's enough. It's, there's an action going on that some past redemptive deed is being made real again. This is what we call anamnesis. And it's becoming present in not just a thought, but in a doing. 
Christ Paschal Mystery is redone, and the worshiping community, worshiping community gets to do it too, and then they participate in that act, and then they are restored. Yeah, really the, reclaiming the active nature of liturgy, not only what the priest is doing, but what people should do too. Yeah, and this seems, at least to my way of thinking, this when I think back on Odo Kozel, this is the second key point that comes to my mind about him. The one was his work on the mystery rites, which again, uh, met, especially in his time, with uh, alarm, concern, uh, objections, sympathies, the rest. You know, uh, it's Pius XII's Mediator Day, I think, Dennis, that uh, makes allusion to Kozel and some of his work. And even after uh, Pius XII mentioned this, people said, see, this is a repudiation of things Kozel was doing. And other people would say, see, this is an affirmation of things Kozel was doing. <laughs> so it's not ever entirely clear, but the the... The study of the mystery rites and how they may or may not have influenced Christianity was one part of his uh, studies. But the other, in which you're getting to now, is just how active, dynamic, real uh, the the mystery of the liturgy actually is. And you've heard us say it before, probably. Um, put yourself on the paten with the priest, because the priest is offering himself as Christ to the Father. You can watch it, think about it, know it, and just watch it like a spectator. You know, sometimes you see that you hear that language. We're not spectators at mass. Well, does that mean we're just supposed to be busy and feel excited? No, it means that Christ is offering His very own sacrifice to the Father eternally, and we want to be doing what Christ is doing, and so actively partake. I give myself over to die. I give myself over to be reborn, to to be resurrected. That's an active thing you do, and the way we do it is the rites of the liturgy. Because what did St. Leo the Great say? I know this is one of your favorite quotes. What was visible in our Savior has passed over into his mysteries. mysteries. Right, so the sacramental realities are now all in the church's liturgical operation. It's not just a little, where they used to do it, Jesus did it, so we'll remember it. It's real, effective, and all that stuff is happening but under the form of sacrament in the liturgy, and we should be part of it. Yeah, the reason we can join in it is because prior to that, that action, that person is actually there. I mean, Dennis, you have this expression about receiving the divine dewdrop of grace. Golden dewdrop. Golden dewdrop, that's it. Or that uh, sacraments are these supernatural vitamin pills, or grace is some sort of uh, quasi-materialistic, monad-type, electrical, non-living power, energy that, I'll go all new age here, mm-hmm. but uh, no, that's not what's, the, 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 the stuff of the sacraments, the uh, sacramental theology class, what we would call the, uh, uh, the res tantum or the res sacramenti, the reality of all things sacramental and liturgical isn't some inert thing, it is a person who is living and acting and uh, all of the mystery of Christ, uh, the mystery of God, which is revealed fully in Christ, that is the content of the liturgy. And so what Kozel was able to do for us is to help you know, clear away our myopic vision of what's happening in the liturgy and give us a much greater, more beautiful, broadened, expansive understanding of what's happening there. And because that activity of Jesus is happening there, then we can join into it uh, through the rites of he the He didn't mass. make this up, right? He kind of rediscovered it with these quotes from the well, that's what I was fathers. Gonna, and that's what I was going to ask. Is he kind of pioneered this, or was this well, around he before? He found it again. I mean, the, a lot of the liturgical reform movements of the 20th century were rediscovering things that people thought were lost or forgotten. 
So, for instance, he quotes one of the prayers from in the calendar, the pre-Vatican II calendar, is the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. The secret prayer was, grant us, O Lord, that we may frequent these mysteries in a worthy way. So already talking about mysteries as this active reality. For every time we celebrate the commemoration of this sacrifice, the work of our redemption is accomplished. So it's not just knowing, it's a doing. We're being sanctified and glorified by partaking in this process of our sanctification. I've talked about the gym sometimes before. You, know, you, don't, you don't get muscles unless you do the work. Oh, can we just have one podcast? <laughs> without without a gym right, you, we get it. You go to the gym, all right? Yeah, don't get redeemed and glorified without participating in the redemptive act. And whose redemptive act is it? Christ. What's he doing? He's offering himself at the side, the right hand of the Father. How do we encounter it? Through the rites of the liturgy, because everything that was real in the Redeemer is now present in the mysteries of the liturgy. It's like that uh, T-shirt, the Lord's Gym, and he's like bench pressing the cross or something. You ever see that T-shirt? I haven't. It's no. like it's like uh, bench this or something, and he's like trying trying to push up, but the cross is on his back, and it's really weird. Really weird. But, but anyway. it's it's not a coincidence that Ascesis gives us the word exercise, and ascesis, asceticism, also gives us the word for how we operate in the liturgy, because we want to be made more than we are by being conformed to some external reality. In this case, it's the reality of the redemption, redemptive action of Christ, and you want to participate in that action actively, not just watch it, not just know about it. Yeah, not that's right. Yeah, not just understand it, think about it, uh, philosophize about it, uh, have it as an intellectual reality, but it's... Uh, what what causal is bringing for us it's it's a active participation in an action of a person it's a it's a true doing it is a true uh, ascesis he says causal uh, says something like it's not just a philosophical position with some religious background music part of this is that he's critiquing the post french revolution people who are just saying oh, christianity is a polite little way of life a polite little understanding of philosophy just like other philosophies and has some religious stuff attached to it but instead it's a really uh, serious uh, activity of Christ, and we have to take part in it. There, uh, at the beginning of uh, Pope uh, Benedict's uh, encyclical Deus uh, Caritas Est, he has this line, see if I can find it here. Um, Being Christian is not the result of an ethical choice or a lofty idea. Right? So this is the same thing Kassel is saying, but rather the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life new horizon and decisive direction. Uh, and uh, I think you mentioned this, Dennis, in another podcast. I mean, what, what, did, uh, what did Pope Benedict uh, have to say about Odo Kazel? He said, well, before he was Pope, he said his ideas were the most fruitful ideas of the whole 20th century in terms of leading into Sacrosanct and Concilium. That's saying a lot. Well, think about that line. What is the aim to be considered before all else by pastors and liturgy? Active participation, participation of, the, yeah. of the people in yeah, the so liturgy. It's not just conveying lofty thoughts or uh, ethical choices or ideas, but this is how you, you know, just like uh, you're going to introduce uh, two people. How would you introduce, you know, Joe Catholic to Jesus Christ? It wouldn't simply be intellectual. That'd be part of it. But it wouldn't simply be that. It would be through a series of actions and uh, An encounter. Uh, yeah, of encounters. Right, so liturgy isn't just a thing you watch, it's a thing you do. That's the big, big thing. Christ's action is present. The sanctifying action of you as a member of the mystical body is, is operating. I mean, that, if, those are, if it was a machine, it's running. And have, are you putting yourself in the machine to come out as you're supposed to be you know, stamped and shaped at the other end? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be stamped and shaped in a machine? Well, <laughs> My <laughs> goodness. Okay, it's not a complete analogy. Uh, but <laughs> Wow. 
you know, say your parents want you, your parent, you know, you want your kid to grow up a certain way. You want them to participate in your parenting. They might not like it at first, but you have to say, eat your vegetables, do this, put on your clothes, go outside, come inside, it's cold out, put gloves on. They participate in their act of becoming adults. Uh, you guide it, and you're the one who helps it, but they have to do it. If they just watch you tell them stuff, it's not going to be formed. And you kind of stamp your identity. They uh, they bear the mark of... Uh, in the uh, machine of my parent. <laughs> yeah, for good or for ill, right? <laughs> oh, my yeah. father's this way, my mother's that and way. Chris, you have eight kids, so that's like mass production right there. It's like... <laughs> The mass reproduction. Right, right. That's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I know this is a family podcast. But. Oh, right. Well, but uh, but the, these, these thoughts, though, I mean, the, you know, Kozel was kind of, it seems, the theologian of the liturgical movement. And in these most basic and fundamental concepts are what would gradually find expression in uh, an eventual uh, ritual changes and the rest. But Kozel is really fundamental for understanding what had happened uh, in the 20th century and, you know, why the Constitution... He's part of that hermeneutic of... Uh, what is it, Dennis? Hermeneutic of... Uh, reform. Of reform, right? Recapturing. How did you even know what he was talking about? <laughs> Chris and I can... When, I, when he wears my clothes and his wife likes him, and then you know that we understand each other and, oh, intellectually. Man. All right. But uh, any last words on well, Kozel? Yeah, it's related to this whole intellectual versus devotional or liturgical versus devotional thing. He's also saying you know, if all you have are a bunch of pious feelings at Mass and doing devotions, well, okay, it's great. If you're not entering in as a member of the mystical body to this process, this, it's not a machine, it's this divine process of God sharing himself with us, you're missing out on your own sanctification. And if you're not sanctified, chances are you won't be nice to your family, you won't be honest at work. If societies aren't sanctified, they'll take advantage of the poor they'll declare war on their neighbors you'll have world war one world war two whatever it takes so getting into the works of sanctification by doing the process that's already happening is not just for one individual salvation although it is that it's for the restoration of the world the advancement of the kingdom and it's been happening on our altars all these years and nobody knew they're doing other stuff instead you remember as kind of a last word on causal do you remember uh, how he died dennis he died in right, 1948, right yeah. in the middle. Okay, so, of, not, so Mediatri Day was 1947, right? And so this was he was shortly after that. He yeah, died so at, let's I, call it a year after, remember. after that. So um, in the middle of the Easter Vigil, right? Uh, right at the beginning. So uh, yeah, I think so. Let's see, 1947. I don't know why you're looking at me. It, uh, okay, so seven. So it was in like a November of 47. So the Easter Vigil of 48, he was. Uh, um, I think he was like a pastor to a group of uh, religious sisters or something like that. They, they, they kind of removed him out of uh, the spotlight in light of uh, Mediatri Day and the, and the, I don't know, the, the debates uh, surrounding his uh, thinking about the mystery uh, rites. Yeah, and I think it, uh, it says that uh, just as he is about to intone the uh, Easter, uh, the exaltet, he died. So you know his whole life was about entering into the mysteries of death uh, well, and resurrection. And what a, happens, yeah. his own death happens in the middle of the, or at the beginning of the Easter Vigil. Yeah, I saw the, the telegram process. that came from, from the sisters of, of this uh, mother house, and it was really very beautiful, you know, speaking about, you know, the Paschal mystery of Christ and that causal himself. What is a telegram? <laughs> It's like a text, but on paper. It's like what they used in Downton Abbey. They, they do have those yeah. in Downton yeah. Abbey, yes. It's Chris, so ready? <laughs> cough. <coughs> okay, there you go. Oh, hey. <laughs> you aimed that right at me. <laughs> but this telegram really is very beautiful, speaking about the unfortunate, of course, but just how it really fit, uh, fitting, uh, Actually, beautiful. I have it, I have it right Oh, here. do you? Okay. 
Just as he had saluted with a loud voice the, Christ, the light of Christ and was preparing to celebrate Easter praise, he uh, made perfect his holocaust, which is a very old mystery language, like offering yeah. himself. Wow. Uh, passing over with his Lord during holy night, entered into this eternal life. So mm, he, uh, his whole life was based on something, and he got to die exactly that way. That's like every priest's dream, right? Well, you would hope so. Every layperson's? No, that's not my dream. <laughs> <laughs> I have other ways I would like to die, well, but I will not dive into that today. Uh, I think it's time to answer a liturgy question, huh? Hey, Liturgy Guy listeners, this is your host, Jesse Weiler. And before we get into this week's email question, I wanted to quickly remind you about our Young Adult Liturgy Conference coming up in April 2017. If you're a young adult and you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, both Dennis and Chris will be speaking at this Young Adult Liturgy Conference in Chicago. So to learn more about that, go to www.betransfigured.com. So why go to the Liturgical Institute? Well, if you want to serve the church and do liturgical studies from the heart of the church, you won't find any place quite like this. This place is faithful to the magisterium, but it's a dynamic orthodoxy, not dry. And at the same time, it not only makes the faith come alive, it also empowers you to help that be the experience for others as well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Hahn, and I want to warmly recommend the Liturgical Institute for your consideration. Pray about going and studying and sharing the richness of our living tradition. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right. This week, we have a question from Joshua. Joshua wants to know what rules... Pope Francis changed about the foot washing, being that we're in Lent and that will be coming up. Chris, you told me that I you told have information. Oh, yeah, yeah. You said uh, you're now supposed to wash in between the toes. <laughs> There's not that. <laughs> you're supposed to start with the heel and then go all the way to the toes. Make sure It's you conceivable that some rubrics at some point in the church's history were that particular. Really? About various, probably not about the foot oh, okay. washing, but uh, about certain things. Uh, no, the, the current rubric does not uh, give uh, that type of detail. What it had said up until prior to last year's uh, celebration of Holy Thursday uh, was that uh, the, uh, the men who have been chosen, and the Latin word was viri selecti, meaning males. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the generic term for mankind or something like that. So it was reserved... Uh, to men, but this has been changed uh, officially by Pope Francis through the Congregation for Divine Worship. Uh, and now, what the rubric says is, if pastor chooses the the foot washing, and again, it's uh, what the rubric says is um, uh, where it is uh, pastorally appropriate or something like that. I can't remember exactly what the term is, but it, it's not a, a complete uh, mandatory thing. But where circumstances uh, suggest it, that it would be uh, pastorally useful. It says, uh, it is for the pastor to choose a small group of persons who are representative of the entire people of God, lay, ordained ministers, married, single, religious, healthy, sick, children, young people, and the elderly, and not just one category or condition. So that's uh, how it reads now. So no longer is, are those to be chosen. And notice there's no number, incidentally. It doesn't say 12, oddly enough. But it says uh, no longer do they have to be males, but it can be any of this group. So the question is, why? 
well, why did it say uh, a very selecting in the first place? Uh, um, what the Easter, excuse me, what uh, Holy Thursday is about is three principal mysteries. There's the institution of the Eucharist, the institution of the priesthood, and the mon- the mandate to to brotherly love, to charity. And it seems to me that when the select when it called for very selecty selected males, this was kind of a um, I know a vestige, I suppose, uh, and an emphasis on the ordained priesthood, right? Yeah, that's what I always thought. That's what I heard. That yeah, was. that uh, that makes uh, perfect sense, uh, because Holy Thursday is a big day for the ordained priesthood. You know, you might recall it, the Chrism Mass as well. They renew their priestly promises at a concelebrated uh, liturgy with the with the bishop. Now, at the Mass of the Lord's Supper, is is commemorating their institution, their institution of the priesthood, along with the Eucharist. Now, with this uh, shift. Uh, it emphasizes not so much the ordained priesthood, but the 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 uh, uh, the command of charity uh, uh, for all, and so this is uh, this is an, a reminder, an occasion that uh, all of the baptized are to exercise that priesthood and uh, exercise charity to others. There's some other rubrics that make this same point. For example, it's unique in the Mass of the Lord's Supper where it says. Uh, gifts for the poor may be brought along, brought forward with the bread and wine. It doesn't say that in any other rubric except on Holy Thursday as an expression of charity. And uh, during the distribution of Holy Communion, it says that the Eucharist may be given to deacons and extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion to take the Eucharist to those who cannot be present, the elderly or the sick or the homebound. Again, as a, as a mandate, as an expression of uh, charitable action. So I think the change in the rubric is just a change of emphasis from the ordained priesthood to the mandate to go out and to serve others. And it gives you an out, right? Say you're in a culture that where men should not be touching women's feet in public. This is wherever it's pastorally uh, useful and appropriate. So it's not a you must, but it's kind of an encouragement where it's suitable. Yeah. I got to be honest, I didn't know that that was even a rule that it had to be men in the first mm-hmm. place. So. Um, maybe that's part of the, this whole cultural change that Pope Francis was mentioning with this. So, uh, Joshua, I hope that answers your question. And if you want to ask us a question, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com. Thank you, and God bless. Bye, Joshua. The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.